Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Galatians 5, starting with verse 7. So last Sunday we moved through some of the, you know, in, in the Apostle Paul's letters, it was a mixed bag. It was a salutation, it was a commendation for things that, you know, remember, they didn't have the internet, they didn't have the technology, so you wrote letters. So the Apostle Paul, he would found the church, he would help the church grow, he would write a letter encouraging them if he found that there was some weird things getting into the church, uh, he would write a letter and try to correct that. So we went through a lot of the heavily theological part of the letter. Now it's, it's kind of smooth sailing, and we're going to be moving into really some practical stuff uh, this Sunday and next Sunday. All right? and we're going to compare what does the Bible say about certain subjects versus what does society say. Uh, today's message is love, liberty, license, and legalism. And basically, what I'm going to do is I'm going to go in character. I'm going to represent a legalist, represent a licentious person, and then be the guy in the middle who's balanced in his Christian faith. And I think this is the way to help us understand better these four terms, how two of them are good and two of them are not good. They're on the extremes. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to use what I would call a, a, a continuum, or a linear representation, and go in character of these people. So my legalist is going to be over here. He's a person that, and listen, churches just like any other organizations there's going to be good and there's going to be things that are aberrant or things that are not good and if you've been around long enough and you've been in different churches you might see some of these things that you have observed yourself and maybe kind of really put you off so the legalist is fault finding the legalist is scrutinizing i'm the legalist and i'm looking out at this church and i need to start picking people apart and you know when the legalist comes in they have an aura. They already start to make you feel uncomfortable. You know, well, that person's back there is not dressed right. And that person over there, do I see tattoos or piercing? Hey, security, what are you doing letting all this riffraff into the church? You know, you Calvary Chapel people, you're very undisciplined. You should be more like us. So the licentious person is on the other end of the extreme. Licentious person is, hey, man, if it feels good, do it bodily urges, whatever, whatever happens, live for the flesh. It's all good, man. Put it on Christ's tab. He paid for it at the cross. I could do whatever I want, whenever I want. The balanced person sees love and liberty. They see that John 3.16, well, Christ died for my sins. They see that, well, God first loved me, and therefore I learned to love God. He showed his overtures of love to me through the cross of Christ, and therefore I love him. And then my love starts to become more of a purified love than when I was in the world. It's more other-centered. Uh, this gives me the freedom to be free from religious rules and constraints, and it also helps me to love others. Okay? So you've got love and liberty. Let's go back to the legalist. Ten Commandments? You asked me about the Ten Commandments? That's a lame question. Because the Old Testament has over 600 laws. And you, Calvary people, just want to follow the Ten Commandments? What's the matter with you? 
600 laws. In addition, if you want to be a part of our church and our group, we have a whole bylaws of church rules that we're going to hand you before you leave. And before you come back, you better memorize it and you better dress appropriately. Licentious person. Ten Commandments. That's like so Old Testament. I don't have to follow the Ten Commandments anymore. Listen, I sinned, Jesus died. The sins that I commit today, the sins I'm going to commit this weekend, put it into the Lord's tab, man. He took care of all that on the cross. The balanced Christian. Love, liberty. Ten Commandments. Wow. You know, when I, I look at God's law, the Bible tells me that God's law is good. You know, it helps us not to really go over the edge. But when I try to follow the Ten Commandments, and Jesus said, even in my heart, I struggle. But I do find that when I'm really walking with the Lord and I'm walking in the Spirit, that I naturally start to follow and I'm in line with God's rules because I know that they're good. So, listen, I'm a sinner. I sin. And when I sin, God forgives me. Okay? Let's look at the legalist again. So let's talk about witness. You ask me about witness? Let me tell you something about witness. My witness, our group, our witness, we are the true witnesses. Not like you undisciplined Calvary people. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> we are the true witnesses, and we have the best witness. And the only way that you can be like us is to just get your act together. You know? We really have to start getting the riffraff out of the church. A licentious person. Witness? Oh, you're concerned that my life, I don't live any different than my pagan, unsafe neighbor? Hey, man, I sense that you're judging my heart. And you know what? Only God can judge my heart. You're, I, I don't want to hear anything else that you have to say. The balanced person. Well, you know, I have to be honest with you. The biggest compliment I ever hear in my life is that somebody at work or somebody in my family says, you've changed. And you've changed for the better. And I see something different in you. And you know what? I, I see a Christ-likeness in you. And i got to tell you something. I feel really good that when I can go out there into the world, and I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. And sometimes I'm not a good witness. But I find that when I'm really walking with the Lord and somebody tells me that I'm, I'm Christ-like, I have to tell you, it's an honor to me because I want to make my Lord look good. I don't want to make him look bad. So you, you see... If you've been around for a while, you've seen these extremes, and then you've seen what balanced people look like. And unfortunately, in the extremes, that's what pushes people away from the church. This guy has no love. This guy has no power in his life. And I know they look like me because they're wearing the same shirt, but they're really different, okay? And this guy has got it going on. See, he's John 15, this guy, John 15. I'm a branch, you know, I, I abide in the vine like Jesus says, and I can't do really anything great unless I'm abiding in Jesus. And then when I am abiding in Jesus, I bear spiritual fruit. Okay? This guy's the Pharisee and the tax collector. You know, like Jesus told the, the story about the Pharisee who looked up, and I'm, I'm glad I'm a Pharisee. I'm so glad I'm not like that tax collector. And the tax collector, Jesus, said he couldn't even look up to heaven. He bowed his head and he beat his chest and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, I'm a sinner. And Jesus said, you know who was justified? It wasn't the religious leader. It was the tax collector. This guy over here, 
He's like the prodigal in Luke 15 that never came home. He's still living in slop, and he's still feeding with the pigs. So you, you get a, a balanced picture. And why do I go through this? Because, listen, especially if you're new to the church, we at Calvary Chapel, we go through the whole Bible. It would be so easy and make my life so easy if I could just go through my favorite parts every Sunday. And then when you forget, after a year or two, I recycle them. I mean, that's just a really great way to do ministry for the pastor. A more difficult way, but a, a way that really teaches the body and grows the body is to go through every single verse in the Scripture. So if you're with us 10, 15 years, eventually you'll know your Bible will, really well. And one of the reasons I'm glad the teens are in here this morning is because teens need to see this. Because teens, I, I, to me, the definition of teen is a brand new human being. You know what I'm saying? You know, I used to be a teen one, believe it or not. It was a long time ago. But teens are finding their way in their faith, and they, they sometimes don't know how to act. And sometimes teens put on a show, they act phony because they think that's what's ex expected of them. And it's not. That's, that's phony, that's a show, and that's just, forget about it. You know, that person just doesn't really understand what the message of the gospel is. So we're going to go into, we are, we've been in Galatians, but we're going to diagnose a dysfunctional church. Now, the Galatian church, if you're a student of the Bible, was more of a legalistic church. The Galatians were like him. The Corinthians, I covered 1 Corinthians a few years ago, were more like him. They were both at the wrong ends of the spectrum, and the Apostle Paul wrote letters to them to correct their behavior and what they were thinking, because they were, the, the churches were imploding. Nobody really wanted to be a part of those churches. And in the community, you would look at that church, just like today, and say, that church, something wrong with that church. So let's go through this and check it out. So he goes on. Uh, we're in the middle of chapter 5, starting with verse 7. And the Apostle Paul says to the Galatians, You ran well. Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion does not come from him who calls you. In context, Paul goes into this real pagan area, leads a bunch of people to Jesus. It spreads. It's awesome. Churches are formed in this region of Galatia. And then false teachers come in. And they try to ruin everything. Today, a lot of false teachers come in through your TV set. <laughs> Back then, they would travel from churches to churches and try to poison the minds of new believers. So they, they got them off track, and Paul's trying to get them back on the track. And he tells them, uh, last time we came into the scripture, he says, stand fast in your liberty, in your freedom of Christ. Don't succumb to this false teaching that, that, that some are perpetrating upon you. Get back on track. Verse 7, he says, you ran well. The Apostle Paul often used racing analogies. There was a track in so many places where he traveled because the Greco-Roman world was big into the Olympics and all those different physical competitions. That's what they did for fun. So he would use those analogies and he would make a spiritual application. So basically he's saying they veered off the track. They took a spiritual detour. And I can tell you, brothers and sisters, when we take a spiritual detour, it's always good to get back on track. And that's what, what God really wants. Now, you may know some friends that have gotten back off track, or maybe you came here this morning and you're the person who's sitting on the sidelines. And I don't say this to shame anyone, but to encourage you, get back into the race. Okay? It's not over yet. God will let us know when it's over. So if that's you this morning, get back into the game. You know, you, you can look at different... Um, Sometimes some will say, well, I, you know, I'm, I'm meaning to get back. You know, after this, and, and it's, there's always some itinerary 
and God is last on the list. Let me get all these things off my calendar, and yeah, I'll get right with God again. And when we do that, we never get right with God. And, and having that attitude, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, and it doesn't happen, brings its own conviction, and it's unfulfillment. Right? And then you ask somebody, are you a Christian? And they struggle to answer it. Well, yeah, well, uh, well, uh, well I kind of grew up in the church. And they struggle because they're, 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 they're struggling, period. They're struggling spiritually. And it's having an effect on their life. Okay, verse 7 and 8, he says, Who hindered you from obeying the truth? This persuasion doesn't come from him who called you. In other words, there's just some things you're not going to find in the Scripture. I mean, I've read the entire Bible a few times because that's what I do, right? That's what you expect me to do. When you have a Bible question, you expect me to answer it, right? So this is what I do. And there's some doctrines that's just not in the Scripture. So Paul says it 2,000 years ago. I'm going to say it today. It's the same thing. This persuasion is not from him who called you. So if you hear something and, you know, you run into a group and they say, hey, we're Christians and we have some deeper stuff and, you know, we believe that Jesus and Satan were spirit brothers a long time ago and they both had a plan for God and Satan lost and Jesus won. So Satan's always given Jesus a hard time. Satan is a created being. Jesus is God. You're not going to find that persuasion from the, from the word of God. Somebody comes to you and say, you know what, Jesus was just a man. He never claimed to be God. You're not going to find that in the Scripture. The reason why Jesus so many times was almost stoned to death by the religious leaders is because he claimed to be God and they would not accept it. Um, you know, we could be many messiahs or many gods. Again, you're not going to find that in the Scripture. So, 2,000 years ago today, we can make similar applications. Continue on, verse 9. He said, a little leaven, a little yeast... Leavens the whole lump. I have confidence you, confidence in you, in the Lord, that you will have no other mind, but he who troubles you should bear his judgment, whoever he is. We use different terminology, but it's the same thing. Back then, uh, the analogy was, bread was a big staple of life back then. And if you wanted the bread to rise, you would put leaven, you'd put yeast in it. You'd work it through the dough, and eventually it would permeate throughout the entire dough, release gases, and that dough would rise. So wherever you put the leaven in that lump of dough, it would find its way through the entire lump of bread. Now, he's using this in a negative analogy. And if you turn with me to 1 Corinthians 5, again, if you studied the Bible for a while, you'll know that the Corinthian church and the Galatian church were extremely similar. The Philadelphian church was awesome. Jesus wrote a letter to them, and he commended them. They were just doing what was right. Now read the book of Revelation. Jesus speaks to the churches. Some of them he rebukes. Some of them he has nothing negative to say. They're doing the right thing. Okay, And we can learn from that. We can look at our church and say, how do we model after the Apostle Paul's letters? So 1 Corinthians 5, he says the same thing. This is a situation where there was rampant sin, and there was, uh, I guess, a well-known person who was... Uh, having adultery with somebody else in the church, their, their wife, and everybody was fine with it. And in verse 6, he goes, your glorying is not good. And you know what's interesting? How churches try to be like the world. Look, we're cool. Come to our church. You know, we, we, and what happens is the culture becomes decadent and churches feel this pressure to model it so they can get more members. It's not how you do it. But that's how Corinth did it, okay? And he rebukes them. He says, your glorying is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
Therefore, purge out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, since you truly are unleavened. For indeed, Christ, our Passover, was sacrificed for us. You see, it's one thing, and, and you know, again, question how, how a church is supposed to operate. What's dysfunction versus what's function? Listen, people come into the church on any given Sunday, and me, you, we struggled with something. We struggle with thoughts, we struggle with actions, we're engaged in something we shouldn't be, the Bible says it's wrong. And you know what? We're, we're all fallible, we're all sinners. Starting with me, we come together, and what do we do? We go through the Word, and we try to apply it to our, our lives. We try to uh, ask for the Holy Spirit to be, come into our lives. We try to emulate Christ. We try to live, practice what we preach. And it's really cool because then other people see that, like my example, the guy in the middle, and they're like, wow, this is very interesting. I've never seen this before. I, tell me more. I, I want to know. My life is unfulfilled. So we can wade into this area of what's right and what's wrong. So we're all sinners coming to the church. When I sin, what I don't do is I don't announce from the pulpit, hey, this is what I did, and we should all do this. Right? He said that the Corinthians were glorying in this sinful behavior. What I do is I go to the Lord and say, I'm really ashamed. I shouldn't be doing that. And I ask for forgiveness. I repent. That's the right way to go. But what they were doing, especially in Corinth, was instead of repenting for their sins, they were sharing it with each other, and they were spreading it. And the church became a hot mess, basically. It just was a mess. So the Apostle Paul had to address that issue. See, a church needs to be a safe place. When we come into church and we're sinners, we don't want others to tempt us. We want others to encourage us and build us up to not do those things. I had an issue with, uh, I've seen some crazy stuff over the years. The guy's not here anymore, but he was very talented. He wanted to get involved, and his wife came to me one time after service, and she just broke down. She says, I can't live a lie anymore. He's a swinger. Like, he goes out at night, and he's with other women and stuff. And, you know, I've been doing this a while, and I think, okay, well, he's going to deny it. So I talked to him, and he's, he's proud of it. So I, I, I lost my composure for a second. And I said, wait a minute, you know what the Bible says? And then his response to me, well, does, doesn't God want me to be happy? I said, okay, <laughs> we're, we're going to go in a different direction from here. So obviously he didn't like the conversation, and he didn't come back. But, you know, sometimes I'm like, man, it's so much easier being a police officer. This stuff is crazy. <laughs> but I've seen some crazy stuff, and that's glorying in sin. You should be wanting to get better. You should want to, you're not loving your wife. You're not loving your kids, beautiful children. I mean, that just is a very self-centered person. That is this guy over here on that side. So basically, um, he speaks about this leaven example. Today, we would use different terminology. We would say it spreads like a disease or it's an infection. We, we kind of use the microbiology application, but it's the same thing, something that spreads in a, in a very negative way. Verse 10, he says, the apostle, he who troubles you, that he, his desire is that he who troubles you would bear his own judgment. In other words, you know, Paul was at a distance. He's writing a letter. And I, I bet as a, as a father, a spiritual father, he wanted so bad to be there. Sometimes he wrote these letters and they, they went hundreds of miles. And I'm sure the apostle Paul wanted to be right there and deal with it. And, and it's a frustration. But he wrote this letter. And I, you know, I hope that guy bears his judgment. See, this is where, what, what I like about, I, I like, I, definitely about our church is, you know, I don't like phoniness. 
Some people come into the church and they're having a bad day. You're allowed to come in here and have a bad day. You're allowed to come in here and you don't have to smile. It's fine. You know, there are times that we may need to pray for somebody who's claiming to be a Christian, who's doing some, some, some really bad things, spreading bad things to stop them. I mean, I've prayed, I'm not ashamed of it. Lord, give that person laryngitis. You know, if somebody's a gossip, hold, twist their tongue, you know, make them lose their voice for a few weeks. Honestly, I don't want them to die. I don't want them to get hurt. I just want them to shut up. You know what I'm saying? Because it can be, the tongue can be so destructive. And I, you show me in Scripture, I don't, I don't feel bad about that. <laughs> James, you okay over there? He's, he's, he's losing it. <laughs> but basically, you know, that's just, the Apostle Paul said it. The, the guy should bear his own judgment. He's a false teacher. He's spreading false things. And boy, I wish I could be there. And maybe it was a good reason that God didn't let him be there. You know what I'm saying? But he just wrote it in a letter. And he's trying to say, these people are bad. Stop following them. There's nothing wrong with saying that. Verse 11, he says, And I, brethren, if I still preach circumcision, why do I still suffer persecution? Then the offense of the cross has ceased. I could wish that those who trouble you would even cut themselves off, exclamation point. And I really wrestled on whether I wanted to go into this from the pulpit, but I will, but not deeply. In the NIV, he says, as for those agitators, I wish they would go the whole way and emasculate or castrate themselves. Now let me explain this. Context is everything. There were those that were forcing you're not a good Christian unless you force all your males to be circumcised. So he's, Paul's saying, well, don't just go with the foreskin, just do the whole thing. And the, the whole point was that the Galatians, before they came to Christ, had, um, they had these weird practices. When you look at false doctrine, a lot of the false doctrine, when you get deep into it, has to do with self-mutilation. You follow somebody who's really in a cult, and there's some form of self-bodily mutilation or some way that they harm themselves psychologically or physically because false doctrine at the root of it is demonic. So Paul was saying basically to this group, when you guys were in the world, you followed these weird pagan priests that in their culture, in this priesthood, they had a practice. If you were a priest in that culture, you had to have yourself castrated. So he's saying, you know what, why start with circumcision? And he's basically saying this is a false practice and why don't they just go all the way with it and just get it over with, okay? So for those of you that don't understand the term circumcision, emasculation, castration, and eunuch, see me after service because I'm not going any deeper into it, okay? <laughs> so we'll move on to the next few verses. See, this is the, I'm, it's very, I feel like somebody turned the heat up in here, you know what I'm saying? And this is what happens when you teach verse by verse. You, you can't skip around to your favorite scriptures. But Paul was saying, whatever, you get the point. I'm moving on. <laughs> Three things. Number one, context, context, context. You know, we should never make a decision about something if we don't know the whole story. And context is everything. The scripture twisters are very good at taking little pieces of the scripture, and I've seen them. They're masters at what they do. They take a little bit of the truth, but it says that, and they twist it all up, and before you know it, you're following some weird doctrine. Two, weirdness in Christianity, and that's going to be my word for this morning, weird. And I tell you, I've been a Christian for a little more than 20 years. I've seen a lot of weird stuff in Christianity, and that is a turnoff to somebody seeking. They come to a church, and they're... It's almost tra tra traumatized, you know, <laughs> just see some weird stuff, okay? 
if it's a weird teaching like this, you know, if I came in and said, all right, right now, by next week, all you males, you've got to be circumcised. You would say, what is wrong with you? But this is what was going on in the Galatian church. And Paul was trying to put a stop to it. So if it's weird, it's not Christian. You get a check in your spirit. Three, he was also saying, and this is an ironic concept, that I can't believe that this is taking off. So many of you are following this bizarre doctrine. I'm trying to tell you the truth, and you're giving me a hard time. Warren Wiersbe, in his book about Galatians, it's called Be Free, he says this on page 123. That's great. And here, he's writing in a, in a different time. And you would think, this guy really is inspired by the Holy Spirit. You would think he wrote this this week. Okay, this was written a while ago. And he says, no wonder Paul is so vehement as he denounces the false teachers. I am suffering persecution because I preach the cross, but these false teachers are popular celebrities because they preach a religion that pampers the flesh and feeds the ego. Do they want to circumcise you? I wish that they themselves were cut off. Literal translation. And today we see the same thing. We see these celebrity pastors. And it's this weird thing. Honestly, I, I'm not looking to move into another building. I'm not looking to double the size of the congregation. I am satisfied with the church that God has given us. And I speak for my other pastors and elders as well. Okay? It's just about growing in the Lord. It's about learning about our faith. And you have these celebrity ministries that their whole desire is to just reach the heights, is to go as high as they can go. And honestly, that affects their judgment, and it affects what they're teaching. And what happens is they amass these great followings that now, in order to maintain these followings and grow them, they have to tell you what you want to hear, not what the truth is. And I don't know, I'm going to ask you, and maybe I'll speak for you, but don't we have enough phoniness in our culture? When we come into the church, aren't we seeking some truth? Even if it's a little painful, even if it pinches a little bit, because when we leave these doors, we go out into our, our professional lives, maybe our social lives, workplace, and, you know, it's just smoke and mirrors. When we come into a church, this should be the place where we find the truth and we desire the truth. I don't like everything, <laughs> you know. It depends on my week or my month or where I am in life. And then I read a scripture, I'm like, oh, oh wow. <laughs> you know, and I'm, talk I'm not talking about you. I'm thinking about myself. Right? I don't particularly enjoy it, you know, but it is good and it's God's word and I have to have a, an attitude adjustment, not God. He doesn't have to change his word for me. I need to change. You know, we, we either believe that or we don't believe it. Verse 13, he says, For you, brethren, have been called to liberty. You've been called to freedom in Christ. Only do not use liberty as an opportunity for the flesh. God gave us freedom, but what do we do with our freedom? What do we do with free speech? We'd be crazy, again, if we walked into a mall or a movie theater and yelled, fire! It's illegal, too. But something that was given to us freely, it's an abuse of it. And Paul's saying, don't abuse that in the church. But through love, serve one another. For all this, all the law is fulfilled in one word, even in this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And I, I can see that written with passion. Now, if we go on to our, our continuum again, our continuum of, you know, what things are supposed to look like, um, probably over here, towards the legalist side, is to bite and devour. 
And if I became a legalist today, and I'd, I'd be picking apart everybody. I'd look at all you and scrutinize and find some fault. That's not loving you. Seriously, that's ridiculous. You know, it, when we come to church, it should be uh, uh, an exercise of what's from within, not an exercise of the flesh. Okay? And I've got to tell you something. You've been a Christian more than a few years. You've met a legalist. You know exactly what I'm talking about. Okay? I mean, we don't come to church. We don't drive to church wanting to be anxious on the way there. Who am I going to see? What are they going to say about me? You know, what are they going to say about the style and my mannerism of dress? You know, you don't want that. We practice liberty and by loving one another, serving one another. And ministering to another person's need, even though you're going through something, others-centered is the highest expression of love that there is. To deny oneself and look at somebody else. And I know Christians like that. They're amazing. And they don't do it for a show. They truly are constantly other-centered. And you just look at them and you go, wow, I'd like to be a, a little bit like that. That's really something. But they know they, they, they're living love. Okay? So liberty plus love manifests itself by loving God and loving others and serving others. Liberty minus love leads to one of the two extremes. Licentiousness, license, or legalism. And the truth is not found in the extremes, and true love is not found in the extremes. Now, here's an interesting note that, and I'm going to read this. Let's go to 1 Corinthians 13, speaking of love. People call this the love chapter. I've read this at probably every wedding I did because it's important. <laughs> hey, I do, I do. You do what? <laughs> what are you saying I do to? <laughs> Let's talk about what you should do and you should love each other because don't call me a year from now and tell me we're quitting. No, 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 no. You need to understand what love is. It's other-centered. If you want to be with somebody and remain a single life, a single person, you're missing the concept of what marriage is. So I read this at every wedding, and I read it slowly. <laughs> so, and here's the funny thing. The Apostle Paul spoke about what true love was to who? The Corinthians, because they weren't loving each other. So here he is telling a church, you guys need to learn how to love each other because you're not. So let's read this. 1 Corinthians 13, a few verses. It says, love suffers long. Love is kind. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself. It is not puffed up or conceited. Love does not behave rudely. Love does not seek its own. It is not provoked. Think about this. If you're in even a dating relationship, are we provoked? Do we try to upstage the other person? Do we think of their needs before our needs? These are important questions. Love thinks no evil when you're in a relationship. You know, um, when my wife and I have a disagreement, she assumes the better of me and I assume the better of her. You know, it, do, it thinks no evil. I don't ever, the, the person I most feel secure with in this whole world is my wife. She's got my back. And I'd be shocked if she did something that would throw me off because I know that would never happen. So it thinks no evil. We're not thinking evil about each other. And that's where relationships start to fall apart. It becomes this downward spiral. And then we say things we don't mean, and then it just does so much damage. Love does not rejoice in iniquity or sin. In our culture, love you know, supposedly the, our culture's love loves sin. Anything that's sinful, you know, adultery is, is made a romantic movie out of. There's nothing good about adultery. That's painful. 
to people. Uh, it, does, it rejoices in the truth. It bears all things. It believes all things. It hopes all things. It endures all things. Love never fails. Pretty powerful, isn't it? See, now that's true love. Not what our culture practices. I love you. I love you. People are always love ya. Or, you know, heart. And we're all saying these things and slangs and stuff. And it's just totally taken the beauty and the depth out of love. Sorry if you say that, you know. It's okay, it's part of vernacular. But when you say love, really mean it. Really mean it. And I tell you what, when a church loses its love, it, it, there's, be, there's all kinds of problems. Verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, if you bite and devour one another, wow, beware lest you be consumed by one another. And again, people will come visit churches, they'll look at the worship, they'll look at the size of the church. I did that. Church I first went to, Christian church. I listened to the teachings. I watched the people. You know, I observed everything about the church. I remember the first time I stepped into a Christian church. And if I believed that those people, that nobody said hello to me or nobody loved me or nobody was concerned that what I was going through, I could take all the rest of it, throw it in the can, and I would be leaving. When you come to a church, you look, do they love each other? And if they don't love each other, well, they're probably not going to love me. You know, it's this, this false love. We, we have a cat. We have a cat, Gracie. And, you know, we tell when company comes over, don't let her fool you. Because you can, she'll come up, she'll rub up against you, she'll purr. And then when she's got you, she bites you. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So we're always, well, the company that we like, we tell them not to sit by Gracie. Uh, but... <laughs> And she's got this, these really long, sharp Dracula teeth, and she does it to me too. It's like, get out of here, Gracie, you know? But she, her love is just, uh, it's just pretentious. Oh, she's purring. Oh, she's rubbing up against me. <laughs> so you, now you won't forget that verse, will you? <laughs> verse 16. Verse 16. Okay. I don't know where I am here. Okay, verse 16. I say then, the Apostle Paul to the Galatians, walk in the Spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. For the flesh lusts against the Spirit and the Spirit's against the flesh and these are contrary to one another so that you do not do the things that you wish. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. So walk in the Spirit. Uh, actually, our elder from the children's ministry, Bill Beaton, did a, a really lovely job this past Wednesday uh, if you didn't get it, check it out on the website about walking in the Spirit. It's pretty good. Uh, but you ever notice that if you're a Christian, you know that you can't actively be pleasing God and pleasing your flesh at the same time. It doesn't happen. It's almost like trying to walk north and south at the same time. It, you just can't physically do it. And, you know, many of you right now are in the Spirit. You're actually saying, gee, how can I take what this message is saying, God's Word, applied to my life. Your, your, your mind is going to your job. It's going to your relationships. You're walking in the Spirit. You want it to apply it to your life. On any given Sunday, there may be somebody daydreaming about the summer, or uh, I just wish to, you know, look, there's a bird that just flew past the window, and they might not be in the Spirit. You know, they're, they're either their flesh or temptations or, you know, is trying to get them diverted from actually receiving something from the Word. Okay, so these are practical applications about walking the Spirit. Now here I want to leave you, before we close, I really want to encourage you with something the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7. 
15 through 25. And here is somebody we admire very much, and he talks about this struggle of the flesh versus the spirit. And you may say to me, I, you know, I'm new to this church. What does that mean? Well, the flesh is, you, we were born into this world. We're born sinners. We have physical bodies. Uh, thanks to what Adam and Eve did and everyone after them and our parents and us. And, you know, we, we are sinful. Our flesh is it's in a fallen state. Uh, and, you know, you know, your, your stomach will rumble really loud. I am hungry. You know, your, your throat will say, I am thirsty. You're sweating. Your body says, turn on the air conditioning. This is the flesh. And is it necessarily bad? Not always. But the bo- it's the body's way of trying to survive. But we're trichotomous beings. We're body, mind, and spirit. When we're born again, our spirit is revived. Now that we have a new nature, and the spirit is saying, please God, bring as many people to Christ as you can. Help, help that person in their marriage over there. Pray for that person over there in, in the doctor waiting room. They really look depressed. The spirit is always keying you to do something that glorifies God. It's such an awesome thing. Sometimes, well, a lot of times, that the flesh and the spirit, they're fighting. The spirit is saying, well, we should do this. And the flesh is saying, no, I want to do that. And the spirit is saying, no, it's really not edifying. And then we get into this tug of war, so to speak. So the Apostle Paul, and I think you're really going to be encouraged by this, for anyone here who's saying, well, I can't do this Christianity thing. You know, I'm not good enough. Don't say that. Because Christ was good enough. We don't have to be good enough. We just have to... To, to walk with him. Verse 15, the Apostle Paul says, For what I am doing I do not understand. For what I will to do, that I do not practice. But what I hate, that I do. If then I do what I will not to do, I agree with the law that it is good. But now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. Now he's not saying, it's not me, the devil made me do it. He's saying sin that dwells in my flesh. I, I have these competing interests. For I know that in me that is in my flesh, nothing good dwells. For to will is present with me, but how to perform it, uh, what is good, I do not find. For the good that I will to do, I do not practice, but the evil I will not to do, that I practice. Now if I do what I will not to do, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells in me. I find then a law that evil is present with me, the one who wills to do good. For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man, the revived spirit, not the flesh. But I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin which is in my members. This is like enigmatic. It's, it's really amazing. You, you could read it a few times and look through different versions. He says, O wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? He knew that he couldn't do it. Who's going to fix me? And here's the answer. I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with the mind, I I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I really hope that encourages you this morning. All right? I mean, was this, uh, this was, a lot of Bible scholars look at this in different ways. Uh, But obviously, he did a lot of good things. Obviously, he healed people. Obviously, he was filled with the Holy Spirit. But he would speak about this difficulty at times where there would be a competition you know, we, listen, I decide what I'm going to do, but I either take my cue from my flesh or I take my cue from my spirit. On any given day, there's times I take my cue from the spirit, and then there's times I take my cue from my flesh. My will says, okay, I'm going to do this. We make a decision. God doesn't overpower us, but he's always there, and he wants to empower us if we'll have him, okay? Not overpower, but empower. Verse 18 
uh, going back to Galatians 5, last verse for this morning. He says, but if you were led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Here's the irony for the, for the guy in the middle here, okay, is that, and, and I said this in my, in my caricature, uh, he says, you know, I find that when I'm in the Spirit, ironically, I please God, and I naturally follow his law because the Spirit's empowering me. See, it doesn't work. I, if I was to force you guys and beat you into following rules, it never works. If I did that to myself, I'm going to say, as Pastor Joe, I fail when I try to do for God in my own flesh. Isn't that weird? It's almost like you, there's two switches, there's two motors in your car, and you're constantly switching which motor is going to propel you. If I try to do it and force myself, I find that it never works. I fail miserably. I'm speaking for myself. I find that when I'm in the Spirit and I'm asking for the Holy Spirit and I'm trying to please God because I love Him and I walk with Him, it just becomes natural. So why don't we do that all the time? There's just so much input going into our minds, our eyes, our ears, and it's just, it's a constant, it's just, listen, everybody has that walk and everybody has to make that decision what they want to do with their life. So in closing, love, liberty, legalism, and license, we understand what it is. And depending on whether we're in the spirit or the flesh will depend on where we are on that continuum. The Apostle Paul was trying to appeal to the Galatians to get back on track because they were off track and continue that natural growth that they had when they were in the spirit, not a twisted board game of religious rules. Pastor Joe, how can I apply a book that was written so long to today? Very simple. You know, you find any cult, any pseudo-Christianity, some churches you'll find a twisted board game of religious rules. And you look at it, and I tell you what, I've seen rule books of churches and different denominations that are bigger than the Bible. That should tell you something. Follow what the Bible says. Follow what the Spirit says. Walk in the Spirit. Remember Jesus in Matthew 11? He says, I want to give you a yoke. Oh, another yoke. No, 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 no. This one's, <laughs> my burden is easy and my yoke is light. You put on Jesus' yoke, take off the world's yoke, take off the religious yoke, and you're like, oh man, it's almost like this yoke was suited to me. This is so, I don't even feel like I'm wearing anything. That's the point that Jesus makes. When you walk with me, it's not a burden. It shouldn't be a burden. So, practicing love and liberty, not legalism and license. Just walk in the Spirit. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening, and may God bless you.